Welcome to the Sacred Seven Podcast, a place where we explore self-identity, relational spirituality, and emotional intelligence. This is a place where we transform culture through story and through interaction. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you feel the value of remembering the process of your own self-identity and who you really are. Ah, very good. I'm here. You know, most of you know me. It's Andrew, Sacred Seven guy, you know, authenticity, vulnerability, intimacy, emotional intelligence, self-identity, relational spirituality, all these great topics that we talk about. And I am here with a new friend that I just met on LinkedIn. And I want to turn it over to Brianna and have Brianna introduce herself for all of you. And this is actually a very awesome experiment. We met on LinkedIn, we met on social media, and I just said, hey, you know what? The last time I had a conversation with someone that I met on LinkedIn, it went really well. And I was in this place of grieving the opportunity to bring all of you onto that conversation. So I just asked Brianna, I was like, can I record this? Can I share it with my friends on social? And Brianna was open to it. So I'll let Brianna introduce herself here and we can kind of come forward. Uh, Brianna already brought up a really powerful topic that we're going to explore. So yeah. Hey, thank you for having me, Andrew. I'm thrilled to be here for the experiment. It's an experiment for me too. Um, So I am Brianna McNerney and I am the creator of Conscious Wholeness, which is uh, an online course that's all about making more intentional choices for ourselves that are based in wholeness and self-love and things like that, as opposed to repeating patterns and kind of following our knee-jerk reactions. That's what Conscious Wholeness is all about, rerouting ourselves to what we actually want and being a little bit more intentional about those choices we're making and where they're leading us. And I also do some strategic creative consulting and that's me. I'm really excited to be here. It sounds like we talk about a lot of the same topics between authenticity and vulnerability and intimacy. A big part of the strategic consulting I do for creatives has to do with um, not only being successful in creative pursuits and social impact and things like that, but also nurturing a healthy personal life. Because I think that a lot of times those of us who are driven to make change can put ourselves to the wayside, even when we are telling everybody else to prioritize themselves. So I really like to provide strategies for people to have it all. And that's what I'm all about. Oh, that's so awesome. So my kind of wheelhouse, you know, where I feel my presence is best kind of founded in is earth-based technologies, indigenous technologies. And then there's this language that comes forward in me of how do we incorporate this wisdom into our contemporary lifestyle without appropriating, right? This is the big conversation because I feel for many people living in the contemporary culture of this distance from authenticity, from self-identity, from intimate relationships, even spiritual, relational spirituality, right? These concepts are broad enough terms to where we can kind of find ourselves in that space. 
but yet there are ancestors that have gone through this and can present wisdom to us in our lives if we simply begin to listen. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Sacred Seven and my kind of ambition of being a drum circle facilitator. So most people know me as a drum circle facilitator and I facilitated in 2019 with my beloved fiance, Monica, 587 wellness-based programs. And that wow. was, I know, and you know, over the course of my kind of uh, professional career, it's been thousands of wellness-based programs and variety of clients, everything from people struggling with HIV AIDS, LGBTQ community to evangelicals, you know, and just the whole contrast of of social impact. Because music is that language that everybody speaks, right? And when you give somebody a drum, they just want to play. They just want to have fun. So that's pretty much what I've been doing for years. And now, you know, I thought I want to come out with teaching people how to drum. But I remember this conversation I had with one of my Apache relatives. So my mom's side's Apache, my dad's side's European American. And actually we have a certain way of introducing ourselves and I'll go ahead and introduce myself here to you. So my name's Andrew Ecker, my mother, Kathy Lindsay, my father, Dale Ecker, my mother's mother, Elva Gallegos, Apache woman from New Mexico. My father's mother, Evelyn Beatty, Irish woman from Pennsylvania. My mother's father, Leroy Lindsay, Apache man from Arkansas. My father's father, Wayne Ecker, German Algonquin from Pennsylvania. I have a daughter, Bailey, a son, Peyton, a beautiful beloved fiance, Monica. I was incarnated in this body in Portland, Oregon, the land of the Multnomah. Although I reside here in Phoenix, Arizona, the land of the Akmal, Atom, Pipash, and Maricopa, and Ende people. So that's kind of how we look at ourselves in kind of the earth-based knowledge system, you know, as a child, right? I come to this conversation as a child and a grandchild. Mm-hmm. And for me, right, I look at you in that way, you know, this gives me a sensitivity to listening to you, you know, that you're a, you're somebody's child, you're somebody's grandchild, and you're an earthling, mm-hmm. right? That's like how I, I listen from that space, you know, so if there's like something that happens in the conversation, and there's some sensitivity that comes up, like I feel this into myself first, and then I feel it into the person I'm communicating with. And this kind of earth-based knowledge system is something that we can learn from today, especially in our political environment, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm really loving the experience of considering that bringing the ancestors in, both of our ancestors in that way, to consider yourself a child, a grandchild, and same to me. I really love what that does. It seems like it can bring a lot of vulnerability and intimacy right into the conversation at the introduction. Why waste time? Why waste time, right? And this is, you know, the earth-based system that I share in my book, The Sacred Seven. And, you know, again, it's a practice about fullness of self-identity. You know, it's not only saying, you know, hi, my name's Andrew Ecker, which is honoring my father's father. And this is where the toxic masculinity first came in, right? You know, Mm. now I'm possession of my father's father, you know, rather than the fullness, which is my mom's side, my grandma's, you know, my grandpa's, all of them, that creates me. And this for me is a very powerful earth-based knowledge system that if you brought Democrats and Republicans together and they introduce themselves in this way, what would the conversation be like? What if world leaders came together like that and they had that conversation? And you're feeling the vulnerability of being in that space right now, you know, just me introducing myself. And you know, it would be a privilege for me to hear your introduction someday. You know, yes. not not to say right now, just to throw it out there, but, you know, someday possibly to hear that from you, because what this does is this like, oh, man, this is a full person here, you know, and if you go back in time and you kind of like go back to the point when, you know, my ancestors uh, 
my Native American ancestors first met the Europeans that came over here and they were sitting in circle together and they eloquently introduced themselves. And then you had somebody from, you know, Europe that said, hey, I'm Colonel so-and-so. Like how confrontational that would be, like to this like embedded mindset of self-identity. Mm-hmm. What would that feel like to the to the people that were here? Like, is this really a human, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Like, what is this in front of me? Is this a robot? Is this is is this a job? Wait a minute. You know? (laughs) Totally. Well, and if I may, another level of the vulnerability that it brings to the table is that I don't know that I could eloquently ramble that off the way that you just did. You know, what an amazing practice to be plugging into your ancestry and the roots of the land that you live on every single time that you open a conversation with somebody. And I can only imagine that for some people, the idea of that might be vulnerable in itself if they don't really know what to say. Exactly, Brianna. And then it comes back to, well, really, who am I, right? If right. you're if you're faced, it's kind of like, what happens to that space of, okay, now you know something, what do you do with that knowledge? You know what I mean? Like this, this happens to us in everyday life, right? We come in contact with some knowledge and we're like, okay, is this feeling into my confirmation bias or is this something I could actually apply in my life? And if it's something I could apply into my life, what does it mean? And that that's what happened to me, Brianna, the first time that I heard the ceremonial introduction. I was like, what is this? What does this mean to be more than just because I, I come from a, a history of addiction and my parents were both addicted to drugs. My grandfather was an alcoholic, you know, all of these different generational kind of things in my family, you know, Irish, Native American. You know what I mean? Come on, there's stereotypes there. So right when i heard the elders introduce themselves in this way i was like wow and then you know i i also old enough to know like the the dare program you know which was drug abuse resistance education they came into my school when i was a little kid and told a group of elementary kids if you have one drug addict parent you're 50 percent more likely to become a drug addict so that was like coming to this confrontation of i'm genetically flawed Right. And then, you know, dissolving the confusion of the illusion of all of the stereotypes of alcoholism, drug addiction, you know, just the whole thing. And then rest into the space of being a child. You know, it does create vulnerability because now, right, it's like this is the value system of the earth here. This is what the earth is teaching you. You are. This is what the innate knowing of the presence of the earth is. But I've been influenced to believe I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm a social media influencer, I'm a, you know, just the list goes on and on. But when we come back to that place of intimacy, which is conscious development and in your space, right, of knowing mm-hmm. that whole inter- that integration of relationships, it does give us a certain premise. And yes, I would encourage you, you know, learn it, you know, learn your grandmother's maiden names, mm-hmm. you know, learn the lands that they were born from, learn the land that you're on. What's the indigenous lands that you're on? Who were inhabiting the lands that you live in right now prior to colonialism you know what does that feel like to recognize that you know it feels sometimes it feels a little like oh that's dense but yet it's a relationship that you have with the land 
Yeah. You know? Absolutely. It's been high on my mind lately to be plugging more deeply into these roots. So I'm thrilled to be having a conversation with you about it. And I wish that my memory was better because I have looked up this information multiple times of what land am I on? Who did this belong to before white people came here? And you know, I don't want to misspeak. So I guess I won't start making guesses, even though it's not a guess. I have looked into this information before and I'm embarrassed. My cheeks are feeling Oh, you know what? Like, here's the thing, like that feeling of density, right? It's Mm -hmm. a good illustration of the way the contemporary culture is because you're an educated person. You know, you've done a lot of education in your life, but yet why is it that our children aren't growing up with this knowledge? Why is it not woven into us? Why is it not the fabric of the air that we breathe? You know, for me, right, it comes back to the confusion of the illusion that, you know, the system we're in, I mean, look at the, you know, I had a friend that posted on on Facebook and he's like, you know, uneducated people vote for so-and-so, you know? And I just think to myself, like, it's not that certain groups are uneducated and certain groups aren't. It's that the education is associated with a particular form of education. Rural people are gonna be educated in a different way than people that are in the cities, you know? And the validity of that education system is important to acknowledge. You know, it's important for us to acknowledge that there is education in both places. It's just, how do we integrate the two? If anything comes out of this conversation is, let's start with self-integration. You know, let's start with consciousness, conscious integration, learning the lands of the ancestors, learning the lands of your ancestors and learning the land of the the people that you're living on. This is an important part of the conversation that really for me, like if we're going forward into a place of real integration, we can keep this in our mind like, okay, you know, whose responsibility was it to teach you that? You know, really ultimately your grandma, your grandpa, your mom, your dad, you know, it's not just you that's responsible for that. But yet you as a person that maybe one day will have a family or also hold space of influence in the community, right? This is an opportunity for you to begin to metabolize, digest, and to look at, okay, I'm making a difference right now. I'm creating culture. Absolutely. Well, and it takes a super conscious effort to integrate this information, as you say, because a lot of the education system in this country it was actually designed to keep us away from this information in some instances so to welcome the the truth of that into our awareness takes very intentional effort and repetition to really help it sink in because everything we're taught from the time we're a child I shouldn't speak for everyone, but for me as a white person who grew up in, you know, Massachusetts and here in upstate rural New York, the education that I was getting, it wasn't favorable to people who didn't look like me. It wasn't a, it wasn't a complete sense of the history of this country. And that was very intentional. So we have to be very intentional about bringing it back to a more balanced, inclusive way of learning. And uh, something that is 
really present as a question for you right now is I would love to talk about appropriation. So if I say wanted to practice a ceremonial introduction and really become fluent at introducing myself that way when I'm like teaching a class or something like that, at what point does that become appropriation? Because my first question was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lovely way to introduce oneself. But do I have a right to introduce myself that way? Mm, huge, right? This is such a powerful conversation. I get the goosebumps, actually. And for me, the authenticity that would flow from that space is about you recognizing the land in which you were born, the land in which you live, that in itself is like the idea of really cultural honoring. And this is something that isn't really a part of the, the zeitgeist, right? Mm -hmm. Is like cultural honoring and cultural ownership of the lands in which your grandparents came from, you know, all the way back to Europe. Or if there are multiple generations here, you know, in this land, you know, who are they? Because I, you know, I feel like there is a sensitivity to that, but it is also about you stepping into being intimate enough with yourself to saying, hey, you know what? I'm not agreeing with this system anymore. I'm not really in complete, you know, I'm not gonna immerse myself in this way of understanding who I am. And yes, there is authenticity in me. Yes, there is a practice in me. And coming to grips with that is a part of my conversation as well, because I remember, like, I grew up knowing I was native. I knew I was Apache. My grandfather told me this when I was a kid, you know? But I remember I didn't grow up with the language. And the first time that I sat in ceremony, which was at um, Native American Connections, it's a drug and alcohol treatment center, Patina Wellness Center, and they have a sweat lodge that they open up for the community. And I came to this place like a decade ago or so. And it was at a crisis time in my life. You know, I was struggling. I was coming out of a divorce. It was just a horrible time for me. And I started coming back to this. I'd lost my religion. You know, I was a pastor and, and Christianity and very, you know, kind of developed in that space. And that was what had helped me in my life. But it created a void. I started seeing things, you know, the blinders came off. I, I could no longer say, I'm not going to see this especially when it came to a man who was, you know, uh, LGBTQ in the way that he was being picked on by, you know, the men's group. I was just like, I can't deal, it, I deal with it anymore. So I didn't have any sort of expression of spirituality. I went to Patina Wellness Center. I sat in there and I heard the elders introducing themselves again. And I was like, okay, I'm going to practice introducing myself. And I started introducing myself. And then I was like, I need to know more. I want to reclaim the traditional language. And I, I taught myself how to introduce myself in the traditional language. And I remember the first time that I sat in Sweat Lodge and I introduced myself in the traditional language. And I was like, I, I'm just going to do it. I had the first time that I told myself I was going to do it. I didn't do it. You know, I chickened out. And then the second time I went and I introduced myself in the traditional language and nobody laughed at me. Nobody mocked me, you know. Nobody said, oh, well, you're not Indian enough to do this or anything like that. You know, it was an embrace. And I get emotional talking about it because I'm like actually back there, you know? I'm honored so, to hear the story. Oh, thank you. And, uh, you know, I feel like that would be a part of your conversation as well in a certain sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like coming out of the place of, you know, I'm just a job. I'm just, a, you know, and I, I don't know what it's like. You know, my parents died of drug-related causes. I don't know what it's like to go to school to fulfill somebody else's needs, you know? I don't know what that programming is like, what the density of that emotion is, you know, yeah. and then what it's like to say, okay, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, I'm actually going to do this, 
you know, and that's a huge conversation in itself. Yeah. That's a part of our self-identity as jobs, quote unquote jobs, because when you're talking about that and you're going back to your little girl and you're bringing her forward and I'm hearing the voice of, you know, the community, the culture saying, well, what are you going to be when you grow up, Brianna? You know, but nobody told you who you were before they told you that. Right. You know, so right. they created this void inside of you, Brianna, you know, of you not being enough. Yeah. Without a foundation. Without a foundation. I love that way of saying it and it's uh, a thread that i'm seeing here in our conversation is our connections with our bodies are such a foundation they're a foundational part of who we are and they are our connection with the earth from what i believe you know our bodies are, are part of the earth so what I love so much about this ceremonial introduction is that it's setting the the stage for this physical body that we have to really be understood and seen in a more thorough way of like, this is where I come from and this is where I've been as far as my earthly presence is concerned. And I'm all about ways to bring body connection into the picture. That's one of the three main pillars. I don't really call them pillars, but one of the main elements that I teach in conscious wholeness is body connection. It's, I again, foundational. I really love that, that word. Well, you know what's so beautiful about that is there's this conversation in our contemporary culture about anxiety, right? And mm -hmm. people have so much energy flowing through them and we begin to create density around that energy so when we come back to the body and we first establish what i like to call a metaphysical or an energetic architecture even a spiritual architecture of that body so now i'm the elements i'm the lands of my ancestors i'm the spirit of my ancestors i'm also created of the elements the air the water the fire the earth if it wasn't for gravity i wouldn't be connected to the earth if it wasn't for time i wouldn't have a linear conceptualization of my reality and if it wasn't for spirit right i wouldn't have this consciousness this thing that's all around me so yeah. we step into that place of knowing and then we feel something in our body and we're disciplined in a certain sense to say oh that's anxiety yeah right? but if we went back to a point in our ancestry and we realized that your ancestor my ancestor at one point was walking through the wilderness and when they felt something in their body they just would tune in yeah they honored that and respected it and I would go so far as to say it's related to what you were mentioning earlier about the pressure of being a job. It's like we've been systematically separated from our connection with our body in many cases, I would say, so that we can fulfill that part of our role in society, mm. the job, you know? Oh, it's so huge. If you think about this, right? If our body is the earth, and this illusion comes in that the mountain is a mini mall, you know, instead of the mountain being our body. I mean, yeah. oh my gosh, it's just like I get the chills thinking about this because what we're doing when we're reclaiming our ancestry in the lands of our ancestors is we're saying that mountain is my relative again. You know, mm -hmm. that river is my relative again. And if the Supreme Court in this country can say that a corporation has the same value as a person, Right. We need to start thinking about the mountain having the same rights as a person. Yeah. 
Have you seen these uh, initiatives where there are lawyers working on things like that, getting bodies of water to have the same rights as a person and things like that? I, I love this idea. I couldn't agree with you more. Oh, it's huge. And for me, the Sacred Seven, right, is a part of that conversation because when we come into the field of thinking about, okay, you know, oh, Native Americans died for their land. You know, like this is like a part every, you know, I think we kind of grow up knowing that, you know, at least people that grow up with the story and the heritage of being Native. Yet, when you start really understanding what that means, this is where the, the connection to actually, I am the air, the water, the fire, the earth. I am the mountain. And this, you know, I, I remember being in a sweat lodge one time and the relatives that were in the sweat lodge he looked over at me and he said, I can take you to where my umbilical cord is buried. Wow. You know, and see, this was actually, if you look at the history of when the Diné reservation was activated, there was a conversation that happened with the United States government about this ceremony because the United States government came to the Diné and the Diné were saying, these, these lands are our lands. And the United States government was saying, okay, are they really your lands? And then, the elders said, no, my grandmother's umbilical cord is buried there, you know, like this is that part of us that says like, oh, my, this is what it means to be an earthling. Yeah. You know, I mean, we live in a culture where none of us have really even grieved our umbilical cord. We don't even know where our umbilical cord is. Yeah. You know, you talk about the body connection, you know, as a man, right? You know, I lost my foreskin and I don't know where my foreskin is. I don't know where it's buried. I don't know if it was flushed down the toilet or, you know, and these things where a lot of people are like, oh my God, what is he talking about? You know, oh, but, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but just think about it though. Think about yeah. like the reality of where is your umbilical cord? Yeah. You know, is there a part of it that maybe somebody has in a baby book or was there ever a ceremony done? Think about what the earth would be like if, you know, moms and dads, instead of going and having their children baptized, went out to a national park and buried their umbilical cords in those mountains or buried their umbilical cords in a part of a park in their community. Yeah. Like what would happen to the way we viewed the land? If we got back to some of these earth-based principles, these earth-based ceremonial ideas, and the land is calling us, the earth is calling us back to those concepts. We can feel it. We know she's like saying, hey, guess what? There's a quality of life here for you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a deeper sensation of feeling again, you know, and our, our relatives that are out there that are struggling with anxiety, that are struggling with depression. You know, this for me is the gravitational field of the density of disconnect. Like we have literally created a density of being disconnected from one another. We've said, oh, empathy is a, you know, a struggle. It's a sickness. Mm -hmm. we, we start to paralyze those neural pathways. We start to tell ourselves we're less than what we are. Mm -hmm. And we dumb down the experience of being an earthling. Yeah. And we really fear the power that comes with that. The sheer volume of feeling that can come with that it's like everything that we want and everything that we're absolutely terrified of all wrapped up into one i couldn't say it better it's so true yeah. really true wow what a great conversation i'm so happy i hit the record button i know me too total well, experiment so many questions that i'm trying to pick out which one because i think the anxiety conversation is hugely present right now in the way that we're 
especially here in America, that we're communicating with each other and interacting with the world and each other. The fear is palpable. Something that we talked about before we did press record was about tapping into our own navigation systems when there is so much fear and so much grabbing for that emotional space inside of us, looking to drive us. And uh, I guess I wonder if there's anything there that we want to explore. Well, I would love to hear what are some of the practices that you bring, you know, about that body connection? You know, what are some of the disciplines that are inside of your course that help people learn to tune in again? And you're exactly right. The density of human suffering is it's at an all-time high, the highest level of suicide ever recorded in history, highest level of drug overdose ever recorded in history. The political climate is, you know, crazy. Borderline intolerable. <laughs> oh yeah, if you, if you counted the people that are in, you know, we have the highest number of people in prison than any nation in the world, but if you counted the number of people that are in psychiatric lockdown, that are in memory care, that are in a place of incarceration. I mean, have we really created a functional community? Do we know how to deal with, uh, you know, how to even live in relationship with people that are dealing with autism? Are these gonna be the next extension of institutionalized Americans? Because we're doing a really poor job of creating integrated community. It's a massive thing that's going on right now, right? I mean, you look in any direction and there's a hole in the boat, basically. Oh yeah. You know, so, you know, what, what is it that you practice and what is it that you you teach in your coaching? Yeah. You know, when someone looks at like the environmental blah, 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 or the military blah, 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 and they start to feel that and they're like, oh my God, what do I do, Brianna? You know? Well, the first place that I always tend to start with people is acceptance. That is the first class I ever taught inside of conscious wholeness. And it's extremely helpful in the sense that acceptance, I find, has a natural way of melting resistance, which I think is similar to that density that you're talking about. Like the, this, it's almost like a, a wall that we put around our soft and vulnerable parts that we don't want, or whatever parts we don't want people to see, mm. have this huge wall around that. And for a lot of people, when it comes to anxiety, especially, I, I have worked with a lot of people with anxiety, and there's this element of, I don't have a good reason for feeling this way. Like, I should be better able to deal with this, and there's something wrong with me, that I feel this way, that I have these thoughts, that I do X, Y, Z, whatever. And I really teach radical acceptance. Like, the first step is saying, I accept all parts of myself. If this is showing up, then I'm willing to see it. I'm willing to look at it and feel the full range of what that brings. And especially when it comes to anxiety, like accepting anxiety for me really looks like I have a good reason for feeling anxious. You know, it's, uh, I've had so many people come to me with anxiety and say, I don't have a good reason for feeling this way. Like I have a great life. There's no reason I should be feeling this way. What is wrong with me? And the oh, first just, you know, right there, I just wanna, I just wanna really bring that out for the people who are listening. Okay, so when did what's wrong with me 
come into our conversation, right? And when did we start to first think this? Like, this is worth exploring. Because for me, right, it goes back to, mommy, I hurt my finger. What's wrong with you? Yeah, there are so many ways. It's like a shame as a mechanism to fit us into the boxes and uh, help us keep grinding the wheels of capitalism and whatnot. We could go on a long rant. For sure. But we talked about the jobs, right? Like the way we systematically separate ourselves from our body's responses so that we can function in our society. Like it's not natural to work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. It's not normal to put off bathroom breaks and food breaks and to, you know, do things that make us really physically, emotionally, spiritually unhappy just so that we can make money, so that we can be a functioning member of society. Um, it it doesn't feel good for anyone as far as I can tell. And we have this big ruse that we want to pretend like it feels great because that's what makes us a good functioning member of society. Like I can squash all of the things that don't fit in and still appear happy on the outside. It's like, that's what we use as our gauge for being successful in this society. And I tend to find that more of that genuine happiness comes from being willing to embody and embrace these things. Like they're really, you know, there's a lot of weird things that happens with humans. Like humans are weird, bodies are weird, we are weird weird and very like the full rainbow like it's incredible the amount of diversity that exists on our planet and there's like if it is present it should be acceptable and normal and it takes so much more energy to resist that than just to go with it so true and the fortification of the density right so Mm -hmm. the resistance comes in and if we think about this inside of our language like i'm not feeling that way you know as soon as you say i'm not what you've done is you've created this resistance you've created this vehicle of density and that vehicle of density gets more expanded more expanded and more fortified and more fortified i'm not feeling this i'm not feeling this i'm not feeling this until that energy is so dense that now it's it's a gravity you know it's a gravity within our field and when we get caught into it that's when these eruptions of emotion happen so it and then you know if what came forward for me as you were talking is you know also that conversation of density of energy density of emotion but then also the two worlds conversation, you know, that we see people living in. You know, I can't be myself at work, I can't be myself with my family, but here at the club, I can be myself, you know? And, or here at this festival, I can be myself. Or I'm gonna be myself at Burning Man. Or I'm gonna be myself at, you know, X, Y, I mean, just, it's like, we've created such a dysfunctional world that we have to exit that world in order to feel. Like, literally, this is the conversation people are having. Yeah. Like I, you know, and they say two worlds, like I have my festival world or I have my concert world or I have my club world, you know, and then I have this other world. Like, when did this become like, you know, how is this acceptable, people? Like, how is this acceptable? And it doesn't set us up for authenticity, which I know is one thing we really wanted to talk about. And for me, 
the path to true authenticity is in this acceptance of just every single part of myself. Because when I am not ashamed of any part of myself and I find the ways to love every single part of me, I'm not afraid to show up as who I am because I know that if somebody judges me, I am strong enough to continue loving myself in the face of that judgment. I don't need their acceptance because I have mine. And since I am seeing and loving and embracing all of those parts of myself, I can see and love and embrace the parts of the people that I'm talking to as well. That would be way more intolerable if I weren't accepting those parts of me. And I think we're seeing that a lot in politics today, the wide, the the really big conversation and I mean oh my gosh as we see the results of the election coming in it's like 50 50 we've got 50 percent red 50 percent blue and the people who are over in the red they hate certain elements of the people of the blue same goes for the other way around and it's like if we could just be willing to recognize that we all have these parts. Like if you can see something about the other side that you don't like, it is inside of you because mm. you would not you would not notice it if it weren't. Yes, that's a very good valid point of the conversation. And for me, right, the biggest, one of the biggest motivations inside of this is learning how to be in relationship to your confirmation bias because yeah. We, we're really not taught that in school unless we're given a really powerful teacher happens to come into our world. Yeah. And you know, many of us really don't understand the process of human development and how confirmation bias is a survival skill. Right. And when we learn to navigate it and we learn to go deep within ourselves and actually celebrate, oh, you know what? That was a bias. I was, man, I was caught up in my bias and now I'm liberated from it. We can begin to see that there's beauty on both sides of the conversation. I mean, you know, each and every aspect of individuals, it's people, it's not parties. They're people. It's not, you know, laws. It's people writing something down. It's not a bill. It's a person. You know, it's it's really in a, like the criminalization of, of certain groups of people in this country. It's like we look at it as a whole, you know, person. It's like fundamentally like race is another part of this conversation. It's not race. It's people. You know, these are earthlings. These are children. This is a child here. You know, and that for me, right, is getting back to that point in which we can begin to celebrate, you know, the diversity and the complexities. I loved it when you said people are weird because it gives me a permission to be in my weirdo, you know, and me too. yeah, exactly. And, you know, all of the things that go on inside of our lives. Yes. You know, it is a challenge to learn how to navigate your emotions, your self identity, you know, all of these different processes in who we are and I feel like authenticity, vulnerability, intimacy, connection to the body. I'm feeling something rather than I'm feeling, you know, this <laughs> kind of psychological terminology. I'm feeling something in my body right here. You know, are you experiencing that? You yeah. know, instead of, is there something wrong? You know, this is one of the things that happens when we're, we're parenting too. You know, I'm a father, you know, we can come into the room and we see our daughter there. And I, you know, I can have this instinct to say, what's wrong, honey, mm -hmm. you know, rather than owning my own shit and saying, you know, 
babe, I'm feeling something in my stomach right here. You know, I'm feeling this thing above my navel and I'm just wondering, you know, I have this need to understand it. Are you feeling something there? Yeah. And then, oh yeah, dad, I'm feeling something right above my navel, you know, like, and then, you know, well, what's going on with that? Can we both explore that? Can we go into that space? And when we have that sort of dialogue, you know, and we get connected to our bodies and we're both connected to our bodies. Now, guess what's happens to the empathic nature inside of us? Now we have integrated relationship and that integration is a place of power. Anytime that you have separation, there's no power, but integration brings us back to power. So the place of agreement is a place of power and agreeing to feel is like the beginning, right? We're beginning to feel something. And that's just beautiful. It's just such a reminder for me because, you know, when I talk about these things, it's like, Oh, I have this relationship and am I implementing that? You know, I'm reminded of a conversation that I had with Monica, my fiance, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to get back to integration again. You know, I get need to get back to connecting with her again mm-hmm. because there's been a little bit of distance, you know, maybe in a conversation. And, you know, we are integrated, but I'm the one that needs to practice it because it's my responsibility to fulfill the power of me being me. I feel better when I'm doing that. It's not even about her. It's like, I feel better, you know? So powerful stuff. So I wanted to get into too, like I'm a new course creator. And really one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you is I looked up your stuff and I'm like, oh, wow, this is a nice course. You know, how did you and where did you start to put your course? You know, what were some of the things that you could share with me? as a new course creator i'm actually in the process of recording udemy right now like literally before i was on the call with you i was like recording my udemy you know yeah congratulations that's exciting um so uh, it's been kind of a winding road i suppose do you want the long story or the short well just whatever comes to you you know whatever comes forward for you Yeah, so I guess I'll start at the beginning, which is my work in healthcare. So before I started my own business, I was a mental health case manager for years, both in Boston and in Rochester, New York. And um, I'd been very passionate about helping people and uh, practicing psychology for, I mean, my whole life. It's just kind of who I am. It's what I love to think about. And I grew very tired working in the healthcare system because I noticed that it's not really set up to help people thrive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm in the business of helping people thrive. And I really, really, really am in the business of helping people thrive quickly. It's just part of what I love to do. It's not for everyone, but it's for me. And I did not feel like I was able to bring that to the table in healthcare because of all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons. But one of the big things is that it's a money-making system. So if you think about a business, you know, you want your customers to keep coming back and you want them to connect in as many ways as possible and i think it's really great like i think there are so many amazing things about modern medicine i never want to come across as somebody who is against traditional healthcare because i think there are so many blessings that have come along with having the medical knowledge that we do and the psychiatric knowledge that we do i think that 
it's important. I just felt like I wanted to bring more body awareness in. I wanted to bring more energetic awareness in. I wanted to tell people how to direct their thoughts. Like I saw all of this power that we have, right? When we reconnect with our bodies, when we use our thoughts really intentionally and it wasn't really my place in the role that I was in to really ferociously bring it forward as I wanted to. I, of course, had some amazing engaged clients who wanted that from me, which helped me grow. But I really just craved being able to bring this fullness to the table. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave healthcare. I'm going to create something new. I had this huge ambition that I wanted to create another option for people. Change to, the world. Of course. Yeah. This always so i roll my eyes and i just like no it's perfect i love it i love it because you know what it, it's a motivation we all should have like it, it's empowering i've always been a very driven individual and i just had no doubts in my mind i was like i can create a whole new mental health care system it's gonna be beautiful and um of course it is much harder than that to start something so like to really bring a big idea like that to life i didn't super know what i was doing when i left healthcare like it's a totally different you know you're leaving the box you're leaving the the grind of that system and it's like i kind of have felt like i'm on the fringe of society because like i'm not participating as much in those systems anymore And uh, it's a learning process, right? To learn how to care for yourself, to learn how to feed yourself, to bring in the resources that you need. I I have a client who is a former uh, mental health worker. Well, she is a mental health worker, but she was working for the state. And then now she's in a private practice. She has a master's, so she's able to like do that, you know? Amazing. Um, Yeah, and she was sharing the same thing. Like I, like literally, I'm spending more time filling out paperwork than I am with people. I'm unable to talk to them. I want to bring my drum in. I want to drum with them. I want to share with them. My boss is telling me, no, you know, stick to the meds, stick to the, you know, the the script here. This is your script. This is what you do, perform. And, you know, I totally can relate to it because I've heard the ins and outs of it. It is very validating to hear that. I very much appreciate you sharing that. It's huge because, you know, we have a stress mental health system right now and we need to take the gloves off like honestly like it's not working people like you know if anybody's gonna listen to this that's in government it's not working right (laughs) you know let the caseworkers get out there and share their heart let them share their passion you know screw the you know dot the i's cross the t's there's a lot of people that can do that why don't we just record the sessions and you can go listen to it you know see and ask do a patient survey at the end is this helping you you know why yeah. isn't there a quality of life metric in mental health? You know, hey, isn't does this that the metric? It right? Does this feel good metric. to you, patient? Is this right. are you feeling better now at the end of this session? That you know? should be right, but that's not the way that it at it all. goes down. And a lot of people don't realize that haven't worked in healthcare that like doctors aren't trained in things like nutrition and body awareness. They're, you know, doctors, and even if they are, even if say you have a doctor who has been trained in yoga or like, 
you know, whatever the heck may be, energy healing, whatever they want to bring into it, they usually have contracts in place, supervisors in place that restrict them from sharing that information. Oh yeah, it's big. It's a big conversation. And you know, the reality is, is that me and uh, Monica would go into psychiatric, you know, behavioral places. Mm -hmm. And when we would come in with the drum and they would see the people go from this to like drumming and singing and having a conversation sometimes, literally coming out of their coma, they were confronted with the idea that, hey, these, these ancient technologies work, you know, and can this be incorporated into your solution? So I totally get where you're coming. And there is an exodus that's going on with healthcare yeah. workers. There are health workers that are exhausted right now. The COVID is another prime example. And, you know, were we at a crisis point before the pandemic? Yes. Are we at an extent? Who knows what we can call it now? It's beyond calling it crisis in mental yeah. health. So I feel like you coming out of that and coming up with a system that's holistic mm-hmm. with the foundation of, holy shit, what I'm doing is not working at all. And I'm not feeling good about it, mm-hmm. let alone my, my client feeling good about it. You know, thank you for having the courage, you know, to come out of that. And, you know, yeah, and to take, you know, you're, I'm sure you have a lot of time invested in your education. You know, I'm sure that, you know, there's family pressure. There's, you know, probably all kinds of friends and pressure and everything else to pursue like a solution to what's going on. You know, for me, right, I don't have that in my background. Like I don't, I didn't spend the years in college. I didn't have like, okay, this piece of paper that cost me tens of thousands of dollars to have to look at every day and think, you know, this is you know, it isn't fulfilling me. It isn't help, you know, I'm not even helping the people I'm serving, right? I know that I need to be of of help. I need to get out there. I need to educate people. I can see the missing points in their lives. I don't have that in my life, but I can empathize with it. I can Mm -hmm. empathize like that conversation of like, holy crap, the courage that you have to have, like really to come out of it. It's huge. It's a big old system, you know, and as far as I was concerned, part of what was so validating here about the person that has her master's, the fact that she has those credentials and is still running into the same issues is so validating for me because there's always that question in the back of my mind, did I, like, did, is the system my only hope to do this? Did I, if I had just stuck it out and gone back to get more education and gone to do things in the more traditional way, you know, did I cut out too early? And it's like, no, even saying it out loud, I know that that's not the way that it was. It was the right decision for me. But I think there's always an element of like enoughness is the word that's coming to mind. Like, Mm -hmm. do I have enough Mm -hmm. to be doing what I am drawn to do? And at a certain point, you know, I, I think we all just need to accept that the answer is yes. And if you want to go back to school, then go back to school. And if it doesn't feel right, then don't. And just do what does feel right. Um, Which I guess this is a hearty ramble. 
Well, there's a lot of emotion involved in it, and it's a whole history of relationship to mental health. I mean, right. that's a huge conversation. I, you know, I feel like it's an important ramble to have because there's people that are out there that are listening to this that are involved in a system. It could be mental health. It could be, you know, the doctor. It could be the institution of education, the institution of military, the military institution. I mean, that conversation of how do I come out of the institution, whatever it may be, is valid for so many people. Yeah. And, you know, there's institutional settings throughout our system of society right now that have created a collective consciousness, that have created a density of energy. And we have people that get caught up into that, into the social, into the culture, into, you know, the whole dynamic and don't have the, the bravery to step out and to do what you've done. You know, how has it been for you, like, as far as like the financial part of it? I mean, if you're open to sharing, sure. you know, the kind of the meat of it, the nuts and bolts, because it is a huge risk, you know, oh, to step out and huge, do that. Yeah, it's been a huge risk. And quite honestly, I have used all of the resources at my disposal to bring these ideas to life. And I enjoy, I don't want to paint a picture like um, pursuing money is a bad thing because I think that we all deserve to be resourced and the more resourced we are, the more good we're going to be able to do for the people mm -hmm. around us. And one of the blessings that's really come to me out of, I've been doing this for five years now outside of the healthcare system. And I think 2020 has been a rough year for many people. And even though conscious wholeness is something that everybody really needs right now, it can feel very overwhelming to think of even one more, especially one more emotional thing to put on top of all of that. So it has absolutely been a challenging road. I'm not out of the challenging part of, of building this yet. But what I will say is that I've learned so clearly that money isn't the goal. Like it is a great resource and it comes along with it. And true power and willingness to take those risks and follow what feels right and be happy and whole regardless of what circumstances are going on around me is much greater gift. Like I need to be able to feel powerful and feel whole and feel good enough, even in the absence of physical resources, mm -hmm. which has been a really amazing lesson for me to learn. And I'll also say that part of where I am on my path right now and wanting to build conscious wholeness. So I didn't really finish my story about the course and like this, it's been a real journey to realize that I was actually creating all along exactly what I left the healthcare industry to create because it started as more of a group course that was like meant to be a one-time thing. And I had, you know, a, a handful of people in the group and that that was just what it was. That was years ago that I led the first round of the course. And only in the past six months or so have I, re or maybe it's been the, the past year, have I really recognized like, oh, what I'm trying to build is a lot bigger than just a small group of people in a course with me multiple times a year. So... <laughs> 
the journey, like I'll also say, and uh, please never hesitate to jump in and ask me questions if I'm getting a little like wily and off the path here. But, you know, working as a case manager in healthcare didn't exactly set me up with a huge nest egg to invest into my business. You know what I'm saying? I did the best I absolutely could. I've been doing the best that I absolutely can with what I... Well, five years is is pretty significant, you know, like to make it five years is huge, you know, like that's a long time to make it on your own. I can tell you that I've been a serial entrepreneur for some time and it's always waking up in the morning and thinking, where is my next, you know, provision going to come from? You know, that just doesn't go away. It's such a hard way to... Mm -hmm to really and especially when I'm teaching something such as conscious wholeness and something about that is like integrity is of utmost importance if I am not feeling consciously whole nobody is gonna want to learn it from me so like having money issues in itself was such a huge barrier like it sets people up to be in this awful cycle mm-hmm. of you know this is the energy i'm bringing to the table how am i gonna feed myself tonight yeah mm-hmm. and that's not an energy that actually is powerful and helps people move forward but it's so conditioned into us Well, it's scarcity mentality is what it is. You know, it it goes back to like the idea of poverty and scarcity. And that's a tool of economics. It it actually is like taught how to create scarcity. So when, yeah, when that is like a program that's working within kind of the etherical energetic system, Mm -hmm. right? We tune into it. And when we tune into it, it's a fortified density already existing. So whether or not it's actually our experience, but it is an experience that's out there. So, you know, I feel like that whole space that you're talking about is something that's so important for course creators and for coaches and for individuals that are there. Yet, right, what I remember is that my emotions are like apps on my phone. Yeah. You know, think about it this way. True sovereignty, emotional sovereignty is being able to press the app. So. I remember what it was like to hold the check in my hand and to be like, wow, I'm getting paid for what I want to do, you know? And that's an important app to have because once you have that, you have a lot more than what most people have. Most people in this culture are, when they hold the check in their hand, they're like, oh, I'm grateful to be able to feed myself. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the function of it. Oh, I'm grateful to be able to put a roof over my head. You know, I'm grateful to be able to buy clothes. I'm grateful to be able to buy something. But the idea of being grateful for what you have done on your own and what you have actually been born to do, that's a program that when you energetically press that app Mm -hmm. and you bring people into that architecture, that's what they're feeling. And that has nothing to do with the cycles of your bank account. No. Right? It has nothing to do with that. So like for me to step into coach, right? And to share with you like, okay, press the app, Brianna. You know, bring people to that place. Remember what it was like to hold that check, what it was like to feel your bank account go up. And if you can remember that and authentically bring that forward, you know, then you're living in the cycles, right? The feminine teaches us the cycles of emotion. Mm that, you know, we're going to feel like, oh, we don't have enough. We're going to feel like, wow, we have way more than enough. And that whole process of that space that we're in is a very comfortable knowing. It's an ebb and flow. It's a cycle, Mm -hmm. you know? So the linear, right, is the masculine. The masculine constantly is chasing the carrot in front of us, 
It's yeah. constantly getting to the next logical place. It's saying, oh, I need to be over this, right? I need to get, you know, get over it, right? I've already learned this lesson, blah, blah, blah. But really, you know, our emotions are in a cycle. And the more that we realize and we give sacred child, right, this child that's inside of all of us, permission to feel, the more that we actually live in our authenticity and our vulnerability. And yeah, it is a challenge, you know, at times. It's yeah. a challenge to get up and say, oh man, I'm going out there and I'm doing it. I'm slaying the dragon today. But yet, you know, I'm like, I'm only one corporate gig away from paying off all my debt. Amazing. Well, that's like, exciting. Yeah, like that's it, right? You know, and that's it for you too. Like you're of one course. corporate training. You're one corporate training away from paying off all your debt. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and your value, right, for your course, teaching it live, mm -hmm. you know, is that like it's a $10,000, you know, gig. It's the, you know, $5,000 gig. It's a $6,000, $7,000 gig. Mm -hmm. And like those sorts of gigs are very important to know that they're out there. Oh, yeah. Well, and gigs and so many opportunities that we have to bring resources into us. But when we're tapped into a scarcity vibe, we repel those opportunities away. And I love what you said about having the emotions like an app. And I guess I'll, if you don't mind, I'll expand on this a little bit. For uh, sure. Emotional element, because that is a huge part of what let me know that I needed to leave healthcare was that it has always been a very deep knowing in me that emotions impact our physical well-being. It's just kind of something that felt right to me that when I learned that people didn't get that, I was like, oh, really? And I expected when I went into mental health care, I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be around all of these people who get it, who like really are there and they want to help people feel happy and good. And when they wouldn't talk to me about emotions and emotions weren't part of the everyday conversation when it came to our clients, I was like, wait, how? What? You know, like, how is this not being talked about more often? And I'm not just talking about like once in a while sitting in your therapist's office, you know, or processing through the emotions that you're having with them. It's like, no, doctors should be talking about what impact emotions have on your physical body. And we as case managers, I saw such a huge opportunity for us, you know, going into homes and seeing there are so many ways that like you could have the best doctor who is aware of all of these things. You could have the best therapist, the best provider team in the world. And if you don't have the emotional skills to stay on track with that plan. Mm, huge, and yeah. you will fail. Mm -hmm. It won't work. You'll keep going in a cycle that you don't want to be in. So I just knew that this emotional stability, this like emotional well-being, being in that cycle, as you said, being in the flow of one's emotional experience, it's just like a deep knowing for me that that's such a critical piece of being successful with pretty much anything because emotion guides so much of what we do and determines so much of our physical experience it's like anybody listening to this can tell you the difference what's it like to have a happy day 
versus a sad day. Well, I think that it's like currency, you know what I mean? It's like the currency for those of us that have reached that place of evolution in a certain sense, right? It becomes much more valuable to us to have transparency, to have authenticity and vulnerability and intimate integrated relationships than any sort of monetary blah, blah, blah. Like that really, that becomes like the value. And yeah, I hope that we will one day get to a point in the conversation as a species really, that we can evolve beyond the necessity of food, shelter, and we can explore more of what we're talking about because there was a time in our our place you know of beings where we can remember that like there's a remembering in my body like in my dna of living in peaceful coexistence with the earth knowing how to forge and how to get food and being able to explore art and emotions and having language that really speaks to that um some of the indigenous languages that i've had a privy of hearing in my life and and talking to elders were languages and are languages that are based around infinite representation of reality and a more knowledgeable way of conveying emotions. Like for instance, my friend, he told me that in his language, he's Hopi and he's like my uncle. He said that we don't have it rained. We only have rain. We don't have it's raining. We only have rain. Like in other words, the rain is existing eternally. It's an eternal existence. So if you think about that inside of emotions, right? It's not that I'm ever over an emotion. It's that emotion exists. And this is a certain level of knowing that's inside of us. I feel like it's woven into the fabric of our DNA. So yeah, I I feel like that's such an important conversation to your journey with your course. I also wanted to ask you some kind of fundamental nuts and bolts stuff about it. So your course, is it housed only on your website or do you have it in other places? So right now it's on my website and I I host all of the videos on YouTube. So they're all privately listed links and I basically give my clients, I have documents that always have the updated links. I'm always adding in more and people get lifetime access to the course and all of the updates to the course. So anytime I record a new class or there's a new live round, I can just go in and make sure that the welcome letter for the course has all of the appropriate links. And it's been working pretty well, actually. Like, I don't love this as a setup. I'm really on my, I'm trying to find the best home for the course and I've, I haven't really found it yet. I think it's gonna involve probably building it out myself on my website or, you know, with help. I don't have to do it all by myself. Sure. But uh, I do find it keeps it simple and all in one location that people can really easily access no matter what they're on. If they can just get into their email or wherever they save the welcome letter. I'll, uh, another thing that feels relevant is that when I initially launched the course, I was delivering all of the content on Facebook. And uh, ho- I, I think it's a pretty common thing for people to do to have a Facebook that's group. How I, that's how I started course, it, yeah. Was, right? Okay, so they my customer experience would be, I would do a introduction Zoom, mm-hmm. they come into the Zoom and then I'd sell them the course. 
-hmm. And then they come back to Facebook for me and Monica, we co-facilitate the experience. Mm -hmm. So they come on to Facebook group, right? Um, they come into the Zoom, we do the live Zoom with them, and then we populate the Zoom onto Facebook. Yeah. So now they have a reference point inside of their personal Facebook group that they can get the video. So the video is housed from the group on Facebook. And yeah. then we set our challenges inside of Facebook as well. So they would have a challenge every week to participate in a question, you know, something that's related to the Sacred Seven. You know. That's great. Yeah, and that was kind of the experience. So your experience when they would come in with the first part of it, that was similar to that? Is that kind of you do a exclusive Facebook group or was it so I've actually closed the Facebook group. And for me and my clients, I was finding that the bringing them to Facebook was the least favorite part of their user experience. So it, it wasn't copacetic with what I was trying to teach. To I found that when my clients are going through the content, they naturally wanted to spend less time on Facebook. So it became a barrier that they had to come to Facebook to digest the content. I think that's so valid. I think that's really valid. And you're and also building Facebook. Yeah, you're building Facebook too, in a certain sense, right. you know, like Facebook needs building, you know, like Facebook does not need building. Like, uh, you know, us that are out here in the world swimming on our own, we need to spend as much time with our development and our people as possible. That yeah. is a really great valid point. I'm really learning something from that. And I think that that's why, you know, the five Facebook groups that I have right now have no buddy. They're like ghost towns, you know? Oh my gosh. Basically, yeah. Social media is really quieting down and it's because it's exhausting, you know? And I just didn't feel right about asking my clients to, you know, oh my gosh, that's so great that you're spending less time on social media. I couldn't agree with you more, but can you please just come here, wade through all the baloney to find your way to my course? It just didn't feel right. So, but I, I love what you said about hosting the videos on Zoom and anybody who's listening who really wants to do this, you know, you could go on Facebook just because my clients don't want to be on Facebook doesn't mean that anybody else's, like maybe your clients love Facebook. And if you want to own your content and have the video, it's so important and smart to be recording it somewhere else like you guys are. Because mm -hmm. I learned that the hard way, it is very difficult to extract content from Facebook. And I was incredibly lucky that I was able to extract that first round of the course from Facebook because I haven't been able to download a couple of the videos. Like I'll just have to kind of lose them. I think I might record them because I can record them uh, auditorially. <laughs> Is that a word? Auditorily. <laughs> and, um, you know, offer some of the meditations. There were a couple of really great exercises that I had in videos that I just haven't been able to extract from Facebook. And Facebook does that kind of intentionally. I'm oh, pretty for sure. For they sure. want to it's, own yeah. the intellectual property and bring mm -hmm. people to their medium. Yeah. So you haven't thought about Udemy or Thinkific or Teachable or any of those places? 
I've thought about them. And so Mighty Networks is another one that I really have spent a lot of time thinking about. And not to say that they're not good options. For me, I had a hard, I have a hard time with the Mighty Networks user experience. And they seem like a really great service and it works a lot for a lot of people. But for me, I, and this was a while ago. Do Do you pay for that one? It's a paid service, yeah. And, um, but that was the problem that I was having a hard time easily getting people into the group. I liked the way that I could lay the content out in a Mighty Networks group uh, because what I miss about Facebook, like they have these group capabilities that are so nice for a group course, Mm -hmm. like something like Conscious Wholeness. Um, And I really was hoping, I I really want to nurture conversation because especially when it comes to something like Conscious Wholeness, you know, yeah, I'm the creator of the course and I'm delivering all of the content at this point. I hope to have many more people delivering content inside of Conscious Wholeness, you know, eventually. So you're talking about a training of the trainer? Yeah, a training of the trainer or, you know, I haven't exactly worked out what, how that's, how it's going to work yet, but I, I'm interested a lot. I've noticed that a lot of people who come to conscious wholeness, they have this desire to help other people as well. And the steps that I outline are kind of a universal experience that people have. I've had clients explain it to me that way that they feel like they have this language that they can use to kind of break down and understand and communicate with anybody about the life experiences that they're having in a way that's like very deeply resonant and they like to be able to help people with that so i i want there to be an opportunity for people to especially people who have been through the course to bring their gifts mm-hmm. to the table have an opportunity to teach classes if they're interested in that and i think i don't know if i mentioned this before but ultimately i would love to have a whole network of providers that are belonging to a conscious wholeness network and i would love for them to be able to teach classes whether they be doctors or energy healers or you know physical personal trainers or nutritionists i would love to have the ability for many people to be coming and sharing their gifts in a kind of conscious wholeness universe type of way have you looked um, at podia no. That sounds not- like what that sounds like your solution right there. Okay. Like that's a SaaS that I feel like you can really you could get into, you know. I love it. I trust you and I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it's a good one cuz it has a membership, it has your funnel, it has your landing page, it has your email uh list and you can house your course there all for like it's super cheap. It's like 19 bucks a month or something. Nice. I mean, it's really cheap. But I also feel that Udemy would be good for you as well because Udemy, you don't pay for it. You just yeah. you put it on there and they sell it. They have 10 million students, mm. but they're the ones that govern like the price. So, and they have sales. But to give you a heads up, like Black Friday is the number one day for course sales throughout the whole world. So it's even more than Cyber Monday. 
believe it or not. Huh. But you you know, get on the hustle and get your your stuff up there. That's what I'm doing that. right now. Yeah. I've been thinking about doing a little bit of like a free challenge type of a deal or, you know, a few days where I go lightly into the topics of conscious wholeness and maybe November is the time to make it happen. I mean, people can use as much support as they can get right now, I think, either way. So for sure. Well, it's so good talking to you. And I think that we spent about an hour together, so I don't want to keep us both here forever. So good, Brianna. Thank you so much for connecting with me. And, you know, I feel like we chopped it up on some really powerful topics that are going to, you know, help both of our audiences. And it was just a really great thing to connect with you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope that it's helpful for at least one person. That'll make it worth it. It was helpful for me, though. So I guess there we go. Me too. Great. You know, it's awesome. So thank you. And maybe we can connect again. That would be great. I would really love that. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of The Sacred 7 Podcast. We want to connect with you further. Please go to thesacred7allspelledout.com to receive a free copy of the book, a link to get your audio book copy, and also ways to connect with us and partner with our outreach to those that are living incarcerated and help us make a difference in the community. The Sacred 7 is a community of people, so we really appreciate your feedback on future show ideas, guests, or any ways that we can better improve our content, please reach out to us at thesacred7.com.